0: Hallelujah guys. Stand up here so that way <clears throat> I'm looking at all of you. Good job Danny. Thank you for leading us in. Amen. Thank you, brother. You guys, ready? Let's jump into our Bible study. Let's jump into our Bible study. We have a special Bible study today. We've been doing the end times and as you guys know, and we find ourselves now studying the eternal kingdom the eternal kingdom so for so many people they're like whoa can we go back to the rapture to revelate well we're going to get out of that and we're going to jump into the eternal kingdom now i think this is the most important because it's actually the place for which we call home it's the place that hopefully everyone that's in here right will all reign and dwell together in hallelujah Palms for that in the old testament and in the new testament much is written and it's given a lot of importance of uh, the eternal perspective you know i'm going to give you some examples i can't give you all the verses because we could have just a whole study on this Uh, but in scripture it shows us that god is eternal that god is eternal Um, we see that from the beginning of the bible uh, uh, i mean we see it in genesis especially in deuteronomy chapter 33 In 27, 33, 27. Um, God is eternal. What do I mean by God is eternal? I mean that before there was time, God was there. Amen? God has always been there. He's always inhabited um, eternity. Isaiah 57, 15 teaches us that. That God's always dwelt in what is eternity. Before the beginning was the beginning, and that's Him. So He's always been there. I know for us who... All we know is time and we are caught up in this world of time. It's hard to understand how our God is outside of time. And He reigns and He blows time out of the water. He created time. I know. We'll understand it one day. And, and here is this eternal God who's always just reigned in eternity. Um, very important. And then we see that we studied this millennium. And after the completion of the millennial kingdom if you haven't been coming you you might be a little confused right now but after this one thousand year kingdom that God is going to establish here on earth after um, the the seven years tribulation we know that all time now comes to an end all time as we know it and what enters now into the fold is what we would call eternity scriptures does a very good job by quoting uh, a quote part of scripture where it says from everlasting to everlasting you are God that's actually in the book of Psalm um, 90 verse 2 notice what the psalmist is saying you're from everlasting to what everlasting so there's never a what an end to his what I know it's crazy everlasting it's just he is it he's it it's hard to understand that from a in a world that we born, we live, we die. It's hard to understand this, God. But we see that man was made as well as we even studied in, in church a month back. In the image and in the likeness of God. And for the reason that we were made in the image and the likeness of God, the scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. Just doing some introduction stuff to get our feet wet. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 11, It says that God set eternity in the hearts of men. It's an awesome passage. Because I'll never forget, I used to have a friend who was a, uh, his family, um, they were Muslim. And this was years back. And me and another good friend, I'm still good friends with him today. We did a trick on this man, on this young, well he was young at the time, now he's a man. And I'll never forget, we scared him so bad that we had him on, in his car from another friend of ours on speakerphone, and we were listening to him from our car. I'll never forget this Muslim boy driving scared, and what he's saying in the car blows my mind. And it's this. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, help me. And I'm laughing in the car with my friend, and I'm hitting my friend. I'm like, he's crying out to Jesus. He's not supposed to be. He's a Muslim. But God does something like that in people's when they feel like their life is at an end. And Ecclesiastes does a good job, chapter 3:11, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So in other words, because man's spirit and because our souls are eternal, He has eternity stamped. He has it stamped upon every being. He has it seared into our lives, in His heart of hearts. Man knows that there is a hereafter, there's, a, there's another place. He knows that after physical death, he will exist forever in an internal, eternal home. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 5 teaches us. And, 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 and that's, that's the truth. Uh, you could probably interview people in this uh, world and take a camera and a mic and, and say, Do you believe that there is a, a heaven? And a lot of people, you'll be amazed. How the, a lot of people do believe that there is an eternity that awaits them. Their false is thinking that everyone makes it there. Amen. And that's where a lot of people come to fall at. But the Bible speaks. When it deals with eternity, the Bible speaks a lot about many blessings that are eternal. And, and I, can't, I, I guess I'll just give you some of the verses. But it's so much. Again, this is just introduction. We'll be here forever if I do this verse by Verse. But the Bible speaks about many blessings that are eternal, that are forever, that have no ending. For example, we see that there are eternal pleasures. In Psalms 21.6, uh, uh, we see eternal joy. Um, Isaiah 51.11, Psalm 16.11, eternal righteousness. There's eternal kingdom. I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you all the things and you can come see me after for all the verses. There's eternal kingdom. That's for, it's forever. There's an eternal light. There's an eternal life. There's an eternal glory, there's an eternal house in heaven, there's eternal salvation, there's an eternal redemption, there's an eternal inheritance that the Bible says can never be stripped away from us, right? So there are a lot of things in the Bible that we call blessings that are eternal, that never have an end. But when we look at eternity and we talk about a lot of great blessings, guess what else is eternal? What do you think? Okay, punishment. So, yes, there's a lot of eternal blessings, but we can never just preach on the eternal blessings without ever mentioning that there's also, the Bible speaks very clear about eternal punishment. Do you guys get what I'm trying to say about that? Matthew 25, 46 teaches us this. There's an eternal shame and disgrace in Psalm and in Jeremiah and in Daniel teaches us about this. There's an eternal ruin. Psalm 52:5. There's an eternal fire. Matthew 18, 8. Matthew 25, 41. There's an eternal destruction. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. There's an eternal judgment. Hebrews chapter 6, 2. Hey, real quick. What is the eternal judgment? Does that mean you stand before God's judgment and you get judged for eternity? What do you think eternal judgment is? Yeah. Eternal judgment to the lake of fire and that's going to be your judgment forever. A reminder of your judgment forever. So, yes, there are eternal punishments and there are eternal blessings together. Why did I mention all this for the introduction? The reason why I mentioned all this <laughs> is because God's purpose, listen now, is eternal. God's purpose is eternal. God's purpose. Everything that he has done throughout the ages is always in a view towards the eternal kingdom. Always. Always, always, always. What's the first verse I gave you there? Yeah, thank you. Rudy, what's the first verse I gave you, though? Ecclesiastes chapter 3.14 is the first verse. All right, let's start there. I'm going to read this to you guys. Ready? So you can write this one down if you want. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I I should have said I'm talking to Rudy. Ecclesiastes 3.14. It says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. God does it. That men should what? Fear before before him. Fear before him. I know that everything God does will remain forever. Isn't that an an interesting phrase? God does things, but when He does them, it's forever. Like, remember, uh, I think it was last week, where I said, when you get to heaven, He's not going to come up to me like, "Hey, uh, I made a mistake with you. You got by accident. I read your name wrong. I thought you were someone else, and I let you in." You should have been in like a fire. That doesn't happen with God. Okay? (laughs) He doesn't make mistakes. When He does things, they remain forever. So there's this emphasis on forever. There's this emphasis on eternity throughout the Bible. It's not surprising um, that when it talks about the believer, the believer is also to have a mentality like God, which is in the things that are forever, in the things that are eternal. I quote it all the time here on Sundays. For example one of the scriptures that I always quote here's Colossians 3 3, 1 and 2 and I think I gave you that one and it says since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on the things above notice what Paul is telling the church of Colossae if you are in Jesus Christ if you are a believer now you seek the things which are from where? okay good so it's above so let's substitute the word above you search the things which are what? eternal you search the things that are forever that are above where Christ is he's there sitting at the right hand of God and then look at verse 2 ready you know this one this is the one that I quote I'll read oh he says set your mind on the things above and look what he says next not on the things of this earth so it's an awesome reminder to the believer what is that saying to me when I read it? You don't belong here. <laughs> don't get so caught up with the things you see here. All these things turn into dust. But you set yourself on the things that are eternal. Because this stuff does not go into eternity with you. You go into the eternity. So so I love this passage. You set your mind on the things that are above, not on earthly things. The Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away. So why would I ever put my trust or put my eyes on the things that you're eventually going to what? Pass away. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, church, come on. Lift up your heads. Look above where your eternity is at. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So Christ now, certainly, Christ gives us hope. He's giving us hope for a life now for our life right now. Uh, I, I think God desires to have peace and have health. I think sometimes we put ourselves in places of war and
1: places of
0: eating unhealthy and doing unhealthy things with our bodies and all these things. But regardless of all that, Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 15 19. 15, 19. Watch this. I don't know if I give them that one. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hoped in Christ, in this life, if we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. When you look at this passage he's looking at the church of Corinth and explaining to them that their primary focus is always on this eternal hope and this eternal focus there are trials and there are sufferings that we come that come that's why he uses the word pity there because when we come to Christ trials do come and sufferings do come in this present age how many of you have experienced Hard times in moments of your life. But now I'm going to tell you something that I hope it, it triggers something for the rest of your life. That when trials and tribulations and tough times come, when those things are put in place with your eternal focus, which is Christ, and the eternity, eternity that awaits us, then this present life and the problems that it brings should be overpowered, and be a small comparison to that which awaits us. So when we are pitied among all, when we are entering trials and suffering, we believe that there is a hope for the believer, and the hope is not eternal hell or eternal damnation. We believe that the Bible teaches that the believer's hope is in a what? Eternal kingdom that awaits every believer. Amen. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read 17... 18, and then I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians 5, 1. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18, and then chapter 5, verse 1. Watch what Paul says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. That's good. That far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Did you guys catch that? Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Uh, Guys, look at this passage one more time. It's a powerful, go back to the beginning and then we'll look at it all again. And and For our light affliction, it's just for a moment. But these problems that we go through today in planet earth as we are living in our present age, look what it's doing to us. It is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, what is it? What is everything that I'm going through today bringing and preparing me for? Well, we're going to go to the next verse. While we do not look at the things which are seen. So yes, you're going through things in the things that you see. But we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, they're just what, church? They're temporary. Stuff that you see just, it's temporary. It's going to last for a certain amount of time. But watch this. But the things which are not seen, those things are what? That's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that the church focuses on. Paul even says this. Listen to these words. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a powerful scripture. I'll I'll give you the the verse. That's actually Romans 8.18. And Paul says something beautiful. In Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that what we're presently suffering and going through... It's not even worth comparing it, which is that which will be revealed in us. So if you're suffering and if you're going through something, watch this. You can't even compare that with what is to come for your life. And right then and there is where I say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm going to a better place. Amen? And and Paul is outlining this eternity for us. So where do we find ourselves as we get through this introduction and as we'll spend about 30 minutes and we'll go into it more next week. We find ourselves now at the end of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's the last book of the Bible. And in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it's the final two chapters of, this, of the Bible. And the Apostle John, the Apostle John Describes the glorious realities of God's eternal kingdom. He describes how beautiful eternity is. When we go into Revelation 21 and 22, we're going to see that heaven has always been the hope of God's saints. And we're going to read this verse by verse. This is called expository teaching. What we're going to start doing in a second is we're going to read a verse, stop, read a verse, stop, and we're just going to study each word and each part of the verse. So we could understand What our eternity looks like. Now, what's interesting about John when he gets to the end of the Bible and he begins to write about this eternal kingdom, he describes three distinct places in eternity. Anyone know what the three places are? Don't just say heaven, because it's not. He begins to describe one place as the new earth. Why do you think he calls something the new earth? What do you think happens? The old earth is what? The Bible says heaven and earth shall what? Heaven and earth shall what? What does the Bible say? Heaven and earth shall pass away. So the old heavens, it's done with. The, what we see outside right now, the moon and the stars and the beautiful clouds, is this planet as we see it, something's done with it. And John describes a new earth Number two, not only that, but he begins to describe a new heaven, a new earth and a new heaven. And then the third thing that John describes is what is called the new Jerusalem. Actually, in John chapter 14, if you're taking notes, verses 2 and 3, Jesus is actually telling his disciples, Hey, I'm preparing a place for you, and it's a place that has many rooms, he says. Many rooms. That word in the Greek means many dwelling places, many places for you to reside in. The New King James says, hey, I'm preparing a mansion for you. How many of you have heard preachers preach that? And God is in heaven preparing a mansion. How many of you have heard that? Huh? And we're like, well, what do you mean a mansion? It's going to have an elevator. It's gonna... It doesn't mean anything that you think it means. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean a four-story house. It doesn't mean you have a full court basketball court, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It does not mean that. The word mansion, when God is preparing a mansion for us in the Greek, literally means a dwelling place. A place for all the believers to reside in. Many rooms in his father's house. He's going to prepare. And this place is a spot. It's a location. I'm going to read that verse to you in, in its fullness. It's John 14, verse 2 and 3. I'm going to read it for you guys. John 14, 2 and 3. He says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He's telling this to his followers. I'm leaving, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to, in his many places, in these many rooms, I'm going to prepare a certain place just for you. And then we find ourselves in Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, it begins to teach us about all things now are new and God begins to create something that you and I have never seen and John actually announces which we'll get there he begins to announce this tabernacle of God who is now with men and he will dwell with them let me ask you a question when was the last time that the tabernacle of God dwelt with men if you know that high five for you when was the last time the tabernacle of God dwelt with man and man dwelt with the tabernacle anyone know Yeah, see the Old Testament, the children of Israel surrounded themselves around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was in the center of the children of Israel. It dwelt among them, and they dwelt among it. But then, John in Revelation 21, he mentions this tabernacle again not temple, tabernacle. And he says, The tabernacle of God is going to dwell with man again. It's very significant. The word that is used there for tabernacle. It's the same word in the New Testament that is used in the Old Testament for the tabernacle of Moses. And this is the word that John decides to use as well. Have you guys ever read in John chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and then the Word was God but then you go down, down, down to like chapter, verses 12, 13, and 14. And then he says, and the word came, became flesh. And then he says something very powerful. And it dwelt among us. You've ever read that verse in John chapter 1, verse 14? There's a word that was with God that is God. Then it became flesh. And then the flesh came unto earth. And then it dwelt. And we automatically say, oh, well, we know who that is. That's who? That's Jesus. Well, the word that John uses in John chapter 1 for the word dwelt, it is the same word that is used in Revelation 21, tabernacled. When they translated the Bible into the English language, they for some reason didn't use the word tabernacle. They used the word dwelt. But what John 1 meant was when Jesus came, he tabernacled with us. He, He tabernacled with his people. I just asked you, when was the last time the tabernacle came? Most of you said, Moses, well, we were all wrong. The last time that the tabernacle came was when Jesus came in the flesh because he was fulfilling the tabernacle of the Old Testament. You see, the tabernacle of the Old Testament was a place of worship for the children of Israel. The tabernacle of the New Testament is found in Jesus Christ who now comes into Israel. And what does he do? He begins to flip over tables in the temple. And he begins to kick people out of the temple. And he tells them what? I'm going to destroy this temple in three days. I'm, I'm going to destroy this temple, but in three days I'm going to what? Rise it up again. He was talking about himself. He was talking about you no longer need to get so stuck on four walls, on temples, and on homes to meet at. Because the tabernacle you don't have to run to anymore. The tabernacle has finally come to You, man, that's good. So what used to reign in the Old Testament now reigns again in the New Testament. But what used to be made with with animal skin and gold and all these different things, now in the New Testament it has a different kind of skin, human skin and bones and, and blood and veins, and his name is Jesus. That's good. And what the children of Israel used to dwell amongst, now he comes and he dwells among them. I mean, man, this is good. It's a whole different phase of God. It's a whole different person of God. Never limits, never stops him from being God. But we know that God is Father and God is Son. And here comes the Son with a grace to come and die for his people. The tabernacle that came among men. But then John says in chapter 21, that there was a tabernacle of God that was with men. So now there's a new tabernacle. There's a new tabernacle. This is all the stuff that we're going to talk about before we jump into Revelation 21 because I need you to know all these things. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 8. Go to, This is actually good. I'm going to go to Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Give me an amen when you get there. Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Let's study this verse. Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. I got to preach that one Sunday, the tabernacle coming to man. (coughs) Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Ready? Let's see. I'm going to read it from another translation. And this is the New King James. Ready? Follow with me. It says, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Verse 2, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord and not by man. I'm going to read the New King James. I want to see the difference, and I'll tell you right now what I'm going to stay on. Now, this is the main point of all the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary... And the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and it's not of man. Very similar. Not man. Verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary. They serve at a sanctuary. One translation says it, who serve the copy and shadow. That's good. Of heavenly things. Another translation says, and they serve at a sanctuary (coughs) that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. And this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. This is good. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. What in the world is the author of Hebrews telling us? What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. You have to go all the way back to verse 1 and 2. We have a high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father on his throne. But this high priest now who is in heaven... He serves in the sanctuary. But watch this. It is the true tabernacle. But it's a tabernacle that is no longer now, watch, made by man's hands, by human hands. The author of Hebrews says, it's no longer made by man's hands, men's hands. Wow, that's a tongue twister. But instead, this new tabernacle that is erected and set up is now set up by the Lord. He says there are already priests and there are already people who offer up gifts in their sanctuary. We come to church here on Sundays, right? And we offer up gifts. And we tithe. And we give offering. And we give to the homeless at times. And we do certain fundraisers and certain collections. Depends for what it is at times. We come to the sanctuary and we give to the sanctuary in which we serve at. But then the author of Hebrews says this. But now we serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and that is a shadow of what is actually in heaven. And that is why, he says, God had to be very specific with Moses. When he told Moses, be very careful, I warn you, when you build the tabernacle, that you make everything the way I tell you to make it. Why? Because what you're doing here should represent what I'm doing there. And if what you're doing here does not represent what I'm doing there, then it's not me who's wrong, God says. It's what? It's you who's wrong. Okay? Now you see the, the responsibility Moses had. Now you see the responsibility pastors have. Make sure what you do there is proper because this is a shadow. This is for copy of something that is even greater keep that in your mind for a moment keep that there you could turn the page over to chapter 9 and if you could put your eyes on verse 11 and 12 chapter 9 verse 11 and 12 it says but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come so watch this Christ came but for things that are what things that are to come that are not here yet but he came for that Because there's going to be something better coming. And watch this. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Verse 12. It's not with the blood of goats and with calves. But with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. Man, that's good. What he's saying in these verses, I'll read it from another translation. It says this. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Uh, Let's keep reading. Go to verse 23 for a moment. 23, and we'll read 23 and 24 of the same chapter, Hebrews 9. Remember what we just read. 23, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What are these passages of Hebrew telling us? What is it continuing to share with us about this tabernacle? What is it saying about Jesus? What is it saying? Danny, they had no idea the song he was singing today. Take me in to the holy of holies, right? Didn't he sing that? Take me in. By the blood. What did we say? Of the Lamb. I know, I'm off no. But take me in to the Holy of Holies. Take a cold, cleanse my lips, here I am. Think about the song that we sang. We talked about going into the tabernacle. Take me in. But if you're going to take me into your tabernacle, don't take me in with a cow's blood, with a goat's blood. If you're going to take me into the tabernacle of God, what do we sing? You're going to take me in, God, by the what? By the blood. Of the Lamb, right? By the blood of the Lamb. What tabernacle is they talking about? What tabernacle was Danny singing of? If I'm going to go to a tabernacle, where in that tabernacle is the Holy of Holies, there's only one way that any man will ever enter into the holymost place of heaven. And the holy most place of heaven, would only, you will only be able to reside and enter into that place if the what? What are we saying? And what is it saying here? If the blood of the lamb has been shed. Let me ask you a question. Has the blood of the lamb been shed? What Hebrews is saying is, all these temples and all these Old Testament temples and all these Old Testament worships and all these Old Testament sacrifices of blood are just a copy of something greater. And Jesus made it accessible, the tabernacle of God. And the way that he made it accessible, this greater tabernacle, this entry of this most holy place, is only by his own blood. So the earthly tabernacle which Moses erected in the wilderness was only a shadow of the real tabernacle where God dwells in heaven. And Moses constructed the tabernacle, copying the pattern of a heavenly tabernacle. I don't know if you guys knew that. Maybe one day I'll do a midweek study on the tabernacle. But I have to study that first. But in the tabernacle, Moses is shown how to build it on Mount Sinai. And in the tabernacle of Moses, there were three distinct places in the tabernacle I wonder if anyone knows what those three places are number one there was a place in the tabernacle called the outer court okay number two you're gonna see why we keep talking about tabernacle there's a second place called the holy place so you had the outer courts and then you had a holy place number two which was inside of the outer court but watch this the third part of the tabernacle of Moses guys don't miss this it was inside the holy place. And that was called the most holy place. So let's, let's try to think of Moses' tabernacle. He built three levels. Three what? Three levels to his what? To his what? Tabernacle. He built one level which was called the outer court. Another level which was called the holy place. And then another level which was called the most holy place. Three levels. Moses built in Mount Sinai all the way in the Old Testament. So the outer court was the first area of the tabernacle. And that place was open to any circumcised Israelite who entered through the gate. And they would bring in a sacrifice in the days of Moses. And they would bring it to the brazen altar like we sang. And they would bring their sacrifice to an altar... But that's as far as they could go. They couldn't pass the altar. They would leave their sacrifices there in the days of Moses. The other areas of the tabernacle were not open to them. Even though they were Jews. It was only open to a specific set of Jews. Anyone know who they are? The priests. So the Jewish person, I wish I had a a, a sacrifice. Would come into the outer parts. The outer courts. And let's say this was the brazen altar. They would bring their offering and they would leave it there. But they couldn't go any further into the tabernacle. Because anyone else that were able to go further into, what's the next place? It's not the outer courts anymore. The holy place was now a priest was able to go in. And the priest, not just a Jew, but the priest was the only one that could have taken it elsewhere. But they had to stop in the outer court of the tabernacle. And then the priest would pass through a veil into the holy place. And in that holy place, it contained the table of consecrated bread, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense. And then once a year, on a day of atonement, the priest stopped there. He couldn't pass the holy place. There was one more place that we're talking about. It's the most holy place. So the Jews only stayed in the outer courts. The priests were able to go into the holy place. But once a year, there was only one person that was able to go into the most holy place. It wasn't a Jew and it wasn't just any ordinary priest. Anyone know who it was? It was the most high priest only able to go to the most holy place. Man, that's good. You're going to get a revelation in about a second. You're going to get a revelation in about a second. And on that day of atonement, the high priest, guys, 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 guys. We'll teach tabernacle one day, I promise. We're going to do it. He would pass through a second veil. And when the second veil was passed, he now enters the most holy place, the most high priest. And that is called the most holy place, which now he runs into the ark of The Ark of the Covenant. And as he runs into the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible teaches us that on the mercy seat of God, guess what filled it? The Ark of the Covenant. What does the Bible call it? The Shekinah glory. That's a beautiful thing. The Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. And it would reign between two cherubic angels that were on that tabernacle, on that um, Ark of the Covenant, on top of the mercy seat. And the presence of God Himself would fill. I don't know how that looked, but that must have been amazing. Amazing. Rewind. God said, Moses. When you build my tabernacle, you be very careful how you build it. I want you to build it exactly how I tell you. Exactly. Because up here, there is something that that is supposed to be a shadow of. So you can't mess that up down here. Because then they're never going to understand what's up here. Build it the way I tell you. So when they come here, they'll be wowed by what they're going to see. So he builds three levels to a tabernacle outer courts holy place most holy place number one the outer courts is what God meant in Revelation 21 as the new earth and then you look at the holy place and that's a type of new heaven and then you look at the most holy place and you guys know this one very well what is the most holy place in the eternal kingdom it's not the new heaven it's not the new earth. The most holy place is what? The new Jerusalem. You know why it's there? The it says that in the new Jerusalem, there is no need for the sun or for the moon because the what? The glory of God, the light of the Lamb is its light. The holy of holies is the new Jerusalem. Did you remember the Hebrews that I just read? There's a greater tabernacle. And the only reason why there's a greater tabernacle for all of us is through the blood of the Lamb. So the only reason why you will enter into a greater tabernacle is because your high priest sacrificed his life for you. And with that blood, you now enter into the holy of holies of heaven, which hopefully we all get to go there, the new Jerusalem. That's where I want to go. Like, I'm cool. I want to see the new heaven. I want to see the new earth. But I want my bed to be in the new Jerusalem, baby guess why i want the bed to be in new jerusalem because that's where jesus lives that's where jesus reigns and i want to be tabernacled with jesus amen 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 Amen. i'm trying to see if i should skip some verses this is so good i'm just doing an introduction i'm not even gonna get to revelation 21 today how awesome Let's go into, a, I'll read it from my iPad. Let's go to Hebrews 9, 1 through 8 again. I think we read this. And then we'll read 11 to 12. Hebrews 9, 1 through 8, and 11 through 12. My translation might be a little bit different than yours, but just bear with me. It's, it's very similar. It says the first covenant, the first covenant, everyone say first covenant. That's Hebrews 9, 1. The first covenant had regulations for worship. And all on earthly sanctuary, an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the tab, the table, the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Look at verse 3. Behind the second curtain, there was a room called the most holy place. And that had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna. It contained Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. Verse 5. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Guys, everyone, eyes, look at verse 7. But only the high priest entered into the inner room. And that was only once a year And never, and never what? What does your translation say? Never without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they have committed because of their ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way, guys, catch this. That by the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. I'm going to skip now. 9 and 10, and I'm going to go to verse 11. Watch this. Notice what I just read. Listen to what I just read. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way to the most holy place had not yet been discovered, disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. It had not been disclosed because the first tabernacle was still standing. Because of the what? (laughs) The first tabernacle was still standing. Look at verse 11. When Christ came as high priest, Of the good things that are already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say not a part of this creation. So what is he talking about? Eternity now. So he went into eternity. And he did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves. How did Jesus Christ, our high priest, enter? It says in the next verse. But he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So what is, what is it saying? What is Hebrews saying? He's saying what? He's saying what? Jesus had to do what no one else is ever able to do or was able to do. And that was what? The only way... That the people would be forgiven of their sin in the Old Testament was if the high priest covered in blood would go into the holy place and give the sin to God in the most holy place. And they were covered with blood. And that was representing all the sins of all the people that were not allowed, listen, that were not allowed to enter. So Jesus entered it for them. I'm sorry, the high priest entered it for them. But now we find ourselves in Hebrews. And Hebrews says what? Well, Jesus is now our what? He's our high priest. And he comes with the blood. Not the Old Testament high priest. Jesus comes with the blood. He walked into the tabernacle of God. And he walked into the most holy place. And look how he ends with. To obtain eternal redemption. Just like the Old Testament priest would come with blood so that everyone's sin could be forgiven, Jesus Christ entered into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, to reign in His glory in the most holy place with the blood of the Lamb upon Him, to now say, what? All my people may now, they can now, enter where I have made it accessible to them. Where one time there was a veil that stopped people from going into in the Old Testament... Jesus fulfills it now in the New Testament. He becomes the high priest who is filled with blood, who goes into the presence of God and says, here's the sacrifice, me. Here's the blood, mine, so that they down there when they die could come where? To where I'm at where? Up here. To the true tabernacle of God. So the only way that you and I will ever make it to the true tabernacle of God is if we understand the what? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. Can I get an amen? And that's what he's teaching. I fulfilled. I didn't do away with these books. I didn't say that it was heresy. I didn't say that this is wrong. That's not what Jesus said. He says, but I came to fulfill it to the T. I came to the brim and 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 every single I was dotted, every T was crossed. And that's what he's saying. Powerful scripture, Hebrews. He's using the same imagery of the tabernacle. And he's encouraging all believers. Our hope is in the most holy place where Jesus the high priest went as our forerunner. Man. And now we have confidence to enter through his blood. People always ask me, how are you you so sure you're going to heaven? How can I not be sure in Jesus Christ and his blood? Is it in vain or is it real? I am sure of my salvation because I am sure in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. And guys, you should be too. And that's what it's teaching us here. Our hope in Jesus Christ, the high priest, our forerunner, we now have confidence because of his blood. And then Hebrews says this. I'm going to end with the whole tabernacle next week. Revelation 21, verse 1. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, if you could turn there. Hebrews 10, 19. And he says this. Remember everything I just read to you, right? Remember everything I just explained to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says. Therefore, brothers, we now have what? We now have boldness. Or another translation, we all now have confidence. We have a boldness, we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. And that is his body. So the curtain was his body. (laughs) It's awesome. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled, cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Another verse in Hebrew says, We have this hope. Everyone say hope. Hope. As an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Verse 20 of chapter 6 says, Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Powerful scriptures that Hebrews is talking about. So as we get ready to end today's Bible study, as we get ready to talk about the eternal kingdom, we come back to where we started. We started in John. Jesus tells his disciples, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going to go prepare a special place for you. And I'm going to come back for you, and I'm going to take you to where I am. And now we find ourselves in chapter 21, and we discover in Revelation that the new Jerusalem, as we get ready to read next week, the new Jerusalem is filled with a bunch of beautiful people, and the people is called the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus Christ. So, if the new jerusalem is jesus's bride common sense would tell us that jesus is right there with his bride amen and john tells us that jesus is the lamp and jesus is the temple of the holy city the new jerusalem john says that the throne of god and the lamb are in the new jerusalem and like the most holy place in moses tabernacle John says that the city is filled with the glory of God. And then we also learn in Revelation 21 that there are kings and there are nations on the new earth that will walk by the light of the new Jerusalem and they're going to bring splendor and glory and honor to the new Jerusalem. Rudy, can you go online there as we end and can you click New Jerusalem on Google go to images, find the pictures that I preached on a long time ago when I went to Revelation years ago. And it's a picture of a little cardboard box on a globe. You'll find them. We're going to end with this. Because next week, the Bible talks very little about the new heaven, very little about the new earth. But what it does talk about a lot in Revelation is the new Jerusalem a lot. A lot. Starting next week, we're going to go into Revelation 21, verse 1. Literally, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to open up my Bible to Revelation 21. So be ready for next Wednesday. And I'm going to say, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to stop and I'm going to explain. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Stop and I'm going to explain. So we won't even finish chapter 21 next week, but we're going to have an in-depth, verse-by-verse expository study on what this new heaven, new earth, and especially the what the new Jerusalem is going to be like. Amen? But now we know a little bit about it as we look at it as the tabernacle and how this eternal perspective, how it's going to be like, which we still don't have no understanding. But on that picture, everyone see that picture perfect? You can turn off the stage lights if you want. We're going to end with this. I shared uh, this to the church a couple years back. When we get to Revelation, they actually give us the size of the New Jerusalem. I don't know if you guys know that. The New Jerusalem is a very funky city. Very funky. Because it's built like this. It's, it's weird. It's a cube. But there, I don't know how it's going to be. People are going to walk like this. People are going to walk like this. People are going to walk like this. It's, it's intense. I don't even understand it. But its dimensions and its height and its width and all that is explained perfectly in Revelation. If you were to grab the New Jerusalem as explained in Revelation and drop it on top of the United States. That's how exactly how it'll look like right now. Well, not like that, but... If you take a space shuttle and you leave the Earth, the New Jerusalem will be that big. It's not really that big, right? Because not everyone's in it. Not everyone's in heaven either. The New Jerusalem, if you notice, it's not a city that is built this way. How is a city built? It's a city that is built like that in levels. It's a city that is built up there's other pictures if you go to them, Rudy. There's one that it's on top of the Middle East and, and it's even sticking out at a better angle so you could see how far it comes off what would be our now planet Earth if, we, if it were to fall on Earth today, which we know it's not because the old Earth and the old Heaven. Look at that, guys. That new Jerusalem is actually splat on top of the old Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that we know of today. If you went on the trip, the Jerusalem that we visited. And that right there is how it is. It's not that long in the sense of from one spot to another spot, from east to west. But it's actually huge in the sense that it's built up. See that? And it's a beautiful, perfect square. It's like a cube. Sorry. Is how Revelation describes the New Jerusalem. Guys, trust me when I tell you this. And new Jerusalem to you is going to look nothing like that. Amen? It's going to be so much more glorious. So if you're looking at this and right now in your head, well, I don't want to live in that box if that's what he's talking about. You're not going to live in the box. You're going to live in something that your imagination, when we start reading this, is not even going to be able to understand of how intense this is. And that is what we're going to be talking about in chapters 21 and 22. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the new tabernacle. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for, for being our high priest and walking through where I was never, I would have never been able to walk through and offer my own sacrifice. But thank you, Lord, that you went with blood. And you said, Father, as a high priest watch this. All in one shot, he is high priest. He is also sacrificed lamb. He is God. He shows up to the Father, and he says, the high priest comes with the blood of the Lamb, me. And he presents himself to the new tabernacle to set up the most holy place, all to say to you, I'm doing this so that one day you could be with me in that room, in that place that I'm preparing for forever. And all I can say is thank you. Because there's no blood, There's no sacrifice that I could have ever done that could have got me into the most holy place of God, the new Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. But Jesus did it for you. Live in that grace. Live in that truth. That Jesus has done for you what you'll never be able to do for yourself. And you'll be able to breathe a whole lot more and a whole lot easier. And you'll be able to thank him for what things that are ahead. Amen? So that was the introduction, really. I wanted to do it much faster, but there was no way I was going to be able to. But that was the introduction to now get ready to jump into chapter 21 and 22. So we'll be a couple weeks on this. And I think it's going to bless your life like you have no idea. Like you have no idea. Let's pray. And then uh, if you guys want to ask some things, because I know some people got to go. Father, we thank you today. We love you. We praise you. Jesus, you we worship. You we thank and praise today because. You are the high priest that makes a way for us. We thank you because curtains have been torn and I now can enter into my dwelling place. I thank you, Lord God, because I was lost in sin. I was was confused and I was a mess. But you saved me and you covered me with your blood. And I am sure in the Lamb of God I'm sure in my Savior and I long to reign with you in the most holy place in the new Jerusalem. I just pray that you may prepare our hearts that as we've been talking about the end times and we've now gotten out of this seven year tribulation, rapture, antichrist and now get ready to enter to what will be our eternal kingdom that it would do something in us that it would stir some hope in us That we would not lose focus. We thank you for this evening. Let us have a blessed and amazing evening tonight. Take us home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, Amen. Amen. As you guys go, remember.